The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to St. Mark as recorded in chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The time is fulfilled, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. As Jesus was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, since they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat mending their nets. Immediately Jesus called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the gospel of our Lord. Generally, when we hear these verses, because of the popular kids' song, we think, I will make you fishers of men. And that is a very significant part of our text. But the most amazing thing in our text is actually verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, when we hear that word repent in our English minds, we think like when you do something at work that's against the rules and you've done it a hundred times and you do it a hundred and one times, but you get caught. And then usually it's the shame or the reprimand that comes with it that now you wish you hadn't done it, so you're sorry for it now. But that's not what the Bible means. The Greek word used is metanomoio, which means have a change of mind. It's a change of mind of how we view sin because before we're believers, we usually don't even think in terms of sin. In fact, we think of thinking in terms of sin as limiting our free will. It's a change of mind that comes because we now trust that we are forgiven and it's against our loving God that we are sinning and we don't want to do that. And so now we struggle not to do that and we trust when the sinful nature wins out that Christ's blood washes it away. So today is all about that kingdom of heaven drawing near with that message. And when God, the Holy Spirit, works through that message to convince you that Jesus has removed your sin and you are alive in him and that your sins are forgiven, well, now you're his disciple. And you share that message, you are fishing for men. And so we see in our sermon text today that Jesus makes you a fisher of men. And you do that by telling them, right, here's the kingdom of God. And when you share with them the law, the good that people need a savior because they're sinners, because they're impure. And you share with them the good news that God was pure in their place, became a human being for them, died to remove their sins and rose to give them new life. Well, the Holy Spirit works through that message to convince them and give them faith. And God has used you as a fisher of men. It's a privilege. But if you're going to be a fisher of men, you have to consider what is the investment. I enjoy fishing here in Wyoming. I really enjoy fishing on our high altitude lakes. Maybe they're actually ponds to the rest of the world. But there's a cost there. You have to buy a fishing license, a conservation stamp. You have to buy all the fishing equipment that you're going to use. What's the investment in following God? Did you catch that at the beginning? After John was put in prison. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist who taught that change of mind so that he could prepare the way for the Lord. He showed people they needed a savior and when they said, what am I to do? I need a savior. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And he goes after Herod. Now this is not Herod the Great, this is Herod's son. See, Herod had his brother murdered so that he could marry his brother's wife. And here's the really disgusting thing. His brother's wife was actually his own sister as well. Same father, different mothers. Ew! Can you say incest is disgusting? And so John points out that the murder and the incest are wrong, and Herod has him thrown in prison. Let's get this out of the way. I don't want this coming back to bother me. Well, at another time, inflamed by lust for his own niece, his wife's daughter, oh, incest again, inflamed by lust, he says, I'll give you anything you want up to half my kingdom. And this is her chance to be set for life. What should I ask for? She turns to her mother for advice, and her mother does not look out for what's going to be best for her daughter. She says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter now. It cost John his life, and he was actually trying to save Herod, give him eternal life. Being a fisher of men has an investment. It may wreck your life. Now, the next couple of things I want to point out, we can skip ahead and look at James and John at our last verse, verse 20, where we're told, immediately Jesus called them, they left their father Zebedee. Let's just stop there. It appears that Zebedee himself becomes a believer, so it wasn't the case with Zebedee. But they did have to leave their father to follow Christ. John will die an old man. His brother, like all the other apostles, will die a martyr's death. Separated from family. And today, even you have religions and you have governments where it, to them it seems that it's so wrong, this good news of free salvation, that God loves you, that they will persecute Christians. That may cost them their life, but they'll also turn their families against them. If you leave other religions, they will turn around and tell your family, hey, you are to treat your child as dead. Take them out of the will, have nothing to do with them unless they come back. And some of those religions will even say even if they do uh, come back. This can wreck your family. As Jesus says, he did not come to bring peace but a sword and he would turn father against son and those things. And, and what he's saying there isn't that he wants people to be violent at all, no. What he's saying is there are those who will hate their own children for becoming believers. There are children who will hate their own parents because their parents became believers and they will ostracize them and throw them out. Not only may this wreck your life, it may wreck your family. And did you catch what's going on, what they leave behind there in verse 20? They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. They had a career, something that would constantly put food on the table and a roof over their head. Oftentimes, fathers, when their daughter talk about getting married, they say, this guy doesn't have a career, he's not dependable. These were men you wanted your daughter to marry because they had a dependable career. And of course, they were good guys to begin with. But see, this can wreck your livelihood. There are people who they come to faith in the Lord and suddenly they realize the career they've had, you know, like selling things that may be legal, but they're actually the way they go about it is wrong. They may end up having to leave that career just because their conscience is telling them that's wrong. There are careers, 
for example, prostitution, in which a person will leave that immediately. We know people who can be obnoxious Christians. They mean well, but at work they, they are so obnoxious about sharing the word of God that finally they find another reason to fire them. But what happens when you go to work? You're not obnoxious, but the love of God shines through your heart and the boss just resents it. So they fire you. Another case I've seen, as a pastor, I've had people in frustration vent to me. I'm stuck at this job. I can't stand some of the people that I work with. Every job I apply for, something goes wrong. I botch the interview. I feel something out wrong on the, on, in the employment form. They just don't hire me. Has it ever occurred to you that maybe for the time being, because you are a believer, that God is keeping you at that place because your new person is shining with the love of God and is actually the kingdom of heaven has drawn near to your co-workers and God's keeping you there for that reason? And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, counting the investment means recognizing this may wreck your career. Things change. Whatever happens, even if you keep your job and you keep your relationships with your family, you will now be doing those as a believer. Another way that this can wreck things in your life is in our first lesson, which is about Jonah going and preaching repentance to the city of Nineveh. Now, a lot of people, when they hear Jonah, they think of the guy who's swallowed by a big fish because that happens, but they miss the whole point. God calls Jonah and tells him, you go to Nineveh and you tell them to repent or I'm going to destroy them. Jonah says, okay, Lord, and then he heads, Nineveh you traveled to by land, you headed to the east. He heads west by sea to get away from them. That's when he ends up swallowed by a fish that spits him up on land. God says, now, second chance, get out there and go preach repentance to Nineveh. When Jonah does, he sits back and waits for God to destroy the city of Nineveh, and God doesn't. See, the thing Jonah knew that you and I can forget, this is the capital city of a nation called Assyria. They will, 75 years later, destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. And the Assyrians were nasty people. When they conquered you, they cut off your thumbs so you couldn't pick up a sword against them. And just to make it known that they were the ones who conquered you, they lopped off an earlobe. Good fun for them. These people were just as morally nasty as any Nazi as, that we think of today. Jonah wanted to see them destroyed. Lord, I wanted you to wipe them out, and then they repented, and I knew you'd be merciful. Now, Jonah doesn't realize that by his preaching repentance, the people of the northern kingdom of Israel, who were supposed to be trusting in the true God, but constantly kept falling into idolatry, another generation had been bought a, uh, 75 years of grace so that they could turn to the Lord. Sadly, that generation didn't, and God lifts his hands and says, fine, go worship false gods. Watch how well they protect you. And they didn't, and the Assyrians came. You and I, when we become believers, have a new man who won't hold a grudge, who won't be bitter. But we have a sinful nature that's unpure. And in its impurity, he will cling to bitterness. He will cling to resentment. And so one of the things we have to give up when we, consent, when we consider the costs is our own bitterness, our own desire for revenge. But God has invested a lot into you. See, he gave you that new person. You are now alive in Christ. If they take your life, that's no big deal because God's allowing them to do it because he said 
it's time that I free you from this veil of tears and I will separate your soul from your body, but you'll never have to struggle with your sinful nature again. And then you will wait until you get the new glorified body and the new heavens and the new earth. Family, you now are united. First of all, Jesus, your Savior, is your brother. And God is not a father to you like a very wealthy father who wants nothing to do with his kids, so he sends them off to a dormitory school and never checks in on them. Every now and then makes sure the bills are paid. God is a dear, sweet daddy to you. The Holy Spirit lives in your heart. He's given birth to a new man in you. And you have now brothers and sisters in Christ. It's very important for us to recognize that we are family, especially now with the COVID virus where we are socially distancing by households that sometimes it's really good to turn around to the person six feet behind you or to the side of you and say, how are you doing? And when people lose their families because they have left a false religion to know the love of God, they need you to be their family, which you are. We also want to recognize that in our careers, we have a new privilege. Christ has made you a priest. When you tell people the that their sins are forgiven, you are pouring the blood of Christ upon them. That's the privilege of a priest. You don't have to do this. God doesn't force you to do it. He privileges you as his child. So Jesus makes you a fisher of men. You have to know the investment. What God has invested in you to make you that fisherman. And you get to see the privilege of what it means with the new life you have in him. Now, when I go fishing in these high altitude lakes, it would be really foolish of me to use the same kind of equipment I would use to catch a gigantic fish out in the ocean, right? You have to know the tools that you are using. And I'm gonna to cut to the chase and tell you the tool God has given you. The kingdom of heaven draws near to you when someone shares the word of God with you. That word is the law that shows you that you need a savior because you're impure, you're not holy in and of yourself. And then it shows you that Christ was pure in your place and he removed your impurity so that you are now holy because you've been credited with his holiness. God's word is the tool. Now we combine that word with water in the name of our triune God in baptism. And we seal somebody into the kingdom. We seal the Holy Spirit in their heart with baptism. God actually seals them in there. And we combine the word, with Christ, which is Christ's words of institution, with the bread and wine in the Lord's Supper. And we get a special form of the word that, that's soul food, if you will. How sad it is then when Christians get confused and they change baptism not into God working in you, but saying, Lord, I've decided to join your army. Here I am. Sign me up. Then the emphasis is on them. How sad it is when Christians won't believe Christ's words. This is my body. This is my blood. And they change it to this represents. See, you don't just get to read the word of God and hear the word of God and speak the word of God. God wanted you to have it in yet another way. And when you receive Christ's body and blood, it's a miraculous way. It defies science. When you receive it, it's actually soul food. You get to taste the good news of forgiveness. This is the tackle we have been given. And the Holy Spirit promises that he works 
through that word, and he works through that word when combined with water and with bread and wine, in other words, with the sacraments. So, when I was a kid, my dad taught me a lot of tricks to fishing these high altitude lakes. And you're, you're reeling in too fast, you're reeling in too slow. The more I did it, the better I got. You need to be in the Word. First and foremost, because you and I still have a sinful nature, and this is where God feeds our new man. We also want to be in the Word when we gather together because we are encouraging each other. Now, when you do daily devotions, just taking a couple of minutes each day, there God is giving you the renewal of the assurance of the forgiveness that he has won for you. So God privileges us to gather together as a family and hear the word of God formally in worship, and there he is giving us the forgiveness and empowering us and picking us up and keeping us as fishers of men and training us. But we also get to do that in our daily lives where we are well fed with the word. If I were to go fishing and starve myself for a couple of days, I might not even have the strength to cast out. So God's word takes care of that. Now, when he called the disciples to do this, they were using nets, which I think is even illegal to fish with nets in Wyoming. I wouldn't even want to try it. But you know who puts the fish in the nets when it comes to fishing for men? The Holy Spirit. If we want to use the individual tackle, guess who makes the fish bite? It's the Holy Spirit. So you and I proclaim the word, we're throwing out a net, that's like Pentecost Sunday where you have the largest conversion of Christians, or with individual tackle, we're putting the word out, but the Holy Spirit makes them bite. Now, the word is where the Holy Spirit works, promises to work, that's what we want to use. There are things that can be helpful, but we don't want to confuse them. See, I always say, and I've had retired pastors and pastors who've been in the ministry much longer than me say this, I can't bring one person through the doors of the church, but I can certainly chase them away. If we were to replace our chairs with sharp pointy spikes, I would not be surprised if I was preaching to an empty church the following Sunday. If people come to visit with us and we are saying, well, I'm shy and we don't talk to them, they're going to see us as a cold church. We show God's love, and when we're showing God's love, we also are showing them the kingdom of God, and we're showing them the word. Now, in connection with that, there are a few things we can use to, if we understand to help us. Number one, listen. I cannot properly apply the law of God to the person's specific sins to show them specifically where they need a savior if I'm not listening, if I'm just doing all the talking. Be patient. I mentioned earlier, people, when they convert to Christianity and they leave a religion, their family may ostracize them. They may resent you at times for wrecking their family. Be patient. Don't be bitter. Be patient because oftentimes we see it takes lots of time for God to bring somebody into his kingdom. Somebody plants, somebody else waters, somebody else waters, and finally the Holy Spirit breaks through into their heart. Look out for each other as family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's show God's love to each other because we are God's family. One other thing I want to point out here. Today Jesus called four disciples, officially. You and I are not alone. And there are two sins we can fall into. The one I call the somebody ought to. When we think that we are the boss and we sit down and say, somebody ought to 
talk to this person. Pastors should be bringing people into the church. The elder should be bringing somebody into the church. The evangelism committee, they ought to be doing this. And when we're doing that, we're actually saying, I'm the boss, but it's not my job. That's the somebody ought to. The other one is it's twin. It's somebody else's problem. I'm too shy, that's somebody else's problem. I'm too tired, that's somebody else's problem. God has made you a fisher of men, and he's given you the tackle. He's given you his word, and it's just naturally built into us. Oftentimes, we don't even realize we're witnessing when we do. And so, you want to know your tools. Being in the word feeds and nourishes you. Being in the word then gives you the ability to properly apply the word. And so, we listen, and we're patient, and we treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, Jesus has made you a fisher of men. He's invested into you by giving you the new person. And you understand this might wreck your life. It might wreck your family. It might wreck your livelihood. But it's going to replace that. It has with something better. And also know the tools that you use. It's God's word and his sacraments. Amen. Now to him who's able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Lord and Savior, be majesty and power and authority forever and ever. Amen.